Well, hey, good morning. Man, this is a good-looking crowd. I am excited to be here this morning. Hope you're doing well. Uh, if you're visiting with us and I haven't had a chance to get to meet you, my name is Jason. I have the honor of serving as pastor here at the church, and, uh, and I would say more importantly to myself and my family, we're members of this church, um, so we don't have any, any problems bragging about this church. Um, this is an amazing church to be a part of, to join, to get connected with, um, a church living on mission uh, in real practical ways, but we're not a perfect church. Amen. Uh, this place is a whole lot more like a hospital than a hotel, so you bring your brokenness, bring your mess, we bring it all to Jesus every week, and we let him continue to sort that out for us, so glad to have you here this morning. Um, we did uh, finish our uh, Desires of the Heart sermon series last Sunday with the Celebration Sunday of Baptism and Testimonies. It was an exciting, exciting day. I hope you had the chance to be a part of one of those services. Uh, it was uh, actually our second highest attendance of the year at 388 last Sunday, second only to Easter, and so it was a fantastic time to come together and celebrate all that God was doing, um, and for every person who got up on stage and shared a little piece of their story, I had at least two or three others come to me after the service, was like, hey, I didn't really feel like I needed to get in front of everybody, but here's how God worked in my life through this series, and so I was just honored to get to hear your stories and be a part of what God's doing in your life. Um, we are now finished with that series, but we're not quite ready to start the Christmas series, so today's going to be somewhat of a standalone sermon as we look at the pursuit of holiness together. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and turn there. As you turn there, I want to go ahead and preview our next sermon series. So starting next Sunday, uh, we're starting our Advent uh, series, which means uh, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas are the Advent Sundays, and uh, we did this last year. We're doing it again this year. Uh, this series entitled this year, is, the title is A Son is Given. And so um, I want to show you these booklets. We'll be handing them out next week. Uh, this is what we did last year as well, if you remember. So just a, quick, uh, just a quick overview of what these are. This is to help guide you and resource you as a family uh, in your personal and private worship time. And so um, our hope would be that you would take one of these home next Sunday and let this be a guide to you and your family as you get together um, once a week to um, not just talk about the sermon, but talk about the scriptures and what Christmas really means and, and, and the true gift of Jesus through Christmas. And so uh, this is divided up into four uh, different devotional times. So the idea would be as you go home from church Sunday evening, before you start your week on that Advent Sunday, gather the kids around. It's meant to be kid-friendly. Um, there's a scripture to read. Uh, get your kids involved and have them read, even if it takes a little longer, get them involved. Uh, then there's a paragraph or two of commentary to get you thinking about the scripture. And then there's four discussion questions uh, that you can ask. And again, get the kids involved in, uh, in what the, the, the scriptures are saying to you. And then, uh, then there's a song to sing, a recommended uh, Christmas song to sing. And so uh, for the musicians in the room, grab your guitar or piano and go for it. The rest of us will just grab YouTube and maybe YouTube, our favorite version of that song. And then sing together as a family and let that be uh, part of your Advent celebration this year as you uh, prepare you, yourself, and your family for Christmas. There's also um, a recommended reading plan uh, for the days of, of December leading up to Christmas for adults uh, starting on December the 1st. So for example, uh, day one is Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. So two verses, but we're doing this together as a church. 
And then there's also a kid's Advent reading that comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which um, many of you have come to me as adults and said, I love reading this with my kids because I'm learning so much about Jesus. And so um, there's a kid's reading plan, there's an adult reading plan, um, and then there are the four devotionals in here. And again, we'll be handing these out next week just as a guide to help, um, help you guys out as you prepare your hearts to worship Jesus this Christmas. So that'll start next Sunday. All right, so today we are in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be talking about... Um, the pursuit of holiness. So if you, uh, if you want to go ahead, if you haven't yet, flip open your Bibles to Ephesians 1 or grab your phone, tablet, or gadget. Let's talk for a minute. So I would say what we're going to be talking about today is um, a highly neglected topic of teaching in the church. It's the, um, this idea that we are saved by Jesus and set free to pursue holiness, So what we tend to get in church settings, and maybe you can relate to this, is one extreme or the other, right? And so you get, uh, you you might get into a church experience or you grew up in a church experience where the only thing really emphasized is pursuing holiness, not sinning, being like Jesus, WWJD, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, get your life together, be like Jesus and quit quit sinning, Right? And so what happens, this is what we call legalism, where we encourage one another to to pull ourselves up by our own strength, our own efforts, and by golly, just be good. Now, the problem with that is, ain't nobody in this room can pull that off, right? I mean, come on, regulars, let's be honest with our visitors. We can't pull that off. So here's what ends up happening for the legalists. We realize quickly we can't pull it off. The problem is we look at the other people in church and go, well, everybody else is pulling it off. I saw their Facebook. So then what do we do? We throw up the facade. We pretend to be holier than we are. And here here comes the march of legalism, right? Now, the other end of that spectrum is the church that preaches the grace of Jesus, right? The unmerited, unmerited favor of God, the endless resources of his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy. And what tends to happen here, if we just camp out here, is there's no pursuit of holiness, no effort to be like Jesus, no repentance of sin. And so it ends up over here, we just get comfortable in our sin, right? I mean, God's going to forgive me anyway, so why even put forth effort? I put forth effort and failed. I don't like the way that feels. I'm just going to sit over here and camp out and just do me. You do you, I'll do me, and we'll all be forgiven, and I'll see you in heaven. Now, the problem is, whichever camp you you land in, you're going to land in self-righteousness. One version of another of this idea of self-righteousness, that you were righteous on your own strength and your own merits. This isn't the gospel. The gospel saves us from our desperation, our sin, right, our wickedness, and sets us free to what? To pursue Christ-likeness. And that's what we're going to be talking about today from the book of Ephesians. We're going to cover Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, and Ephesians chapter 4. You good with that? All right, we've got a lot of work to do. All right, so starting in Ephesians chapter 1, We're going to start with the foundation of what God intended in creation, starting in verse 3. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, if we keep reading all the way through verse 14, we're going to get a list of these spiritual blessings. We're just going to pick up on a couple of them here. So verse 4, the first spiritual blessing even as he chose us in him 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will. So in verses four and five, God's doing a lot of choosing, right? He chose us in him before when? The foundations of the world and then the idea of adoption, God then chose us and adopted us. And so two different things are happening here. First of all, verse four takes us back to Genesis one. Whenever you read about the foundations of the world, that's, those, that's building terms, that's designing terms, that's the idea of God creating the world. And so when were we chosen in him to be holy and blameless? Before the foundations of the world. So creation wasn't unfolding, like it wasn't this brainstorming session of God unfolding day one. I think I'll do this and day two. You know what, I need to add some of these and oh, you know what, I'll put a bird over here and oh, you know what we really need? Um, we need some waves crashing on the shore and ooh, how about some mountains with some eagles? And right? All that was happening in Genesis 1 and 2 was the unfolding of a very detailed plan by God. So what Genesis chapter 1 verse 4 is reminding us is that God chose us to be holy and blameless before creation started happening. Genesis chapter 1 Verse 26, God said, let us make man, that's you and I, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God is saying, let us create something that looks like us and operates like us, that has dominion over everything else, something set apart. Let us create man, you and I, in his image. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what Paul said in one verse, that you and I were created before the foundations, we were chosen before the foundations of the world to be what? Holy and blameless. Uh-oh. Right? Who, who's doing that right now? Uh-oh. I'm not operating the way I was created to operate. I was created to bear God's image through what? Through blamelessness and holiness. Now let's talk for a minute about what this means to be an image bearer. I think one of the best illustrations I can think of um, is something that, um, that oftentimes governments will do or, um, or kings will do to establish their dominion and their authority in different regions as they conquer them. Rome was known for this. So what they would do is as they conquered a people group, uh, what they would have to establish the rule of Caesar, they would set up a statue of Caesar and then they would begin to use coins and money that had Caesar's image on it. And so the images of Caesar would remind the people they were under his authority. So you had this, these image bears, these statues, if you will, all throughout the conquered areas and conquered lands by Rome. Now, even to today, this is a really important uh, part of symbolism in culture. As a matter of fact, in the Iraq War in 2003, in April, um, most of us don't remember a whole lot of the images, but one that, that almost all of us will remember is the toppling of Saddam Hussein's statue. 
Now, why was that important, right? I mean, because the statue itself was just a piece of concrete, but it symbolized something, didn't it? It symbolized that these people are no longer under the rule of this dictator. We've, we've what? We've tore down his dominion. We've tore down his reign in this region. So that's that idea of an image bearer. So you and I then are created to be image bearers of the most high God. Not like earthly rulers where we walk around intimidating people, but, but here's what, what God has created us to do to, to reflect his blamelessness and his holiness in the world around us. How are you doing at that today? How's that going for you? Now, thankfully, we're going to keep reading, right? So there's a second part to what we read in Ephesians 1. Not only were we chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless children of God, but look at verse 5 with me. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So not only was it the unfolding of his will that man would be created in his likeness, right? All of us have kind of messed that up, right? We've marred that image. We've distorted that image in the world around us, but God is saying not only that, but guess what? And I'm adopting you back in, right? Because in the story of the, of the prodigal son and the good son who stayed, we're all prodigals in that story. But you know that, right? You're not the good son who stayed. You're the prodigal who ran, we're all the prodigal. And so what God is saying is what? Not only did I choose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, I'm adopting you back into the family. How does that work? Well, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about this beautiful adoption. Starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a description of of mankind created to be holy and blameless children of God. Ephesians 1 through 3 says what? We all messed up and we look more like children of wrath than we do children of God. Right? So 1 through 3 describes us before Jesus as dead men walking. Now, verse 4. But God. And this is, this is where the story gets exciting for me. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that's exciting news because, see, dead men don't fix themselves. Dead men don't pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get their act together, do they? Like, dead men don't know how to fix themselves. Dead men can't do anything but be dead. And what Ephesians 2 is saying is, here's how your adoption works. God came to you in your, in your hopelessness, in your desperation, in your inability to fix yourself and be holy. And God says, I choose you. 
I'm adopting you. Before you get your act together, we're not going to stop off at your house for you to change your clothes and and, and get your cross necklace on and your Christian t-shirt and fix your radio stations, right? I choose you now. I'm adopting you. So, right? So, while we were created to be children, right, who lived in the palace of the Most High God, God comes to the ghetto to find folks like us and says, I want you. Not only did I choose you to be holy and blameless, I'm choosing you again through adoption. I'm going to make the dead man alive. That's how rich I am in mercy. I can make dead men come alive. Now, there's a second part to this. Not only does God make the dead man become alive Look at what else he says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Church, we've got to get this, okay? Because right now, I read that and I go, wait a second, I'm not seated in the heavenly places. You're seated right here at Solid Rock Church in the comfortable brown little chair. What are you talking about? What Paul's describing here is your eternal security. When God makes the dead man come alive, he establishes for you a seat in the kingdom, and it's yours. It's not a wait and see how, you're, how you do it this life kind of seat. It's an already yours kind of seat, right now kind of seat. Established at the table of God, you have a seat. You're seated there. Right now, you're just living out this life here on earth, right, fulfilling all that God has planned and all that God wants to do in you and through you in this life, but you already have a seat established for you in the kingdom, How many of you came into church today thinking about that? How many of you this Thanksgiving thought, I'm just so thankful for my seat in eternity? I mean, I know a lot of us thought about, I'm thankful for what God's doing right now, for my family, for the food, for the provision, for my friends, for this house, for go down the list. But how many of us stopped and said, I'm thankful that I have a seat at a better table, that I'm a citizen of a better kingdom, that that has already been established for me in Christ. So not only has Jesus made the dead man come alive, he's established for him a seat at the Father's table. That's yours. Now, listen, this gets super exciting. Because look at what else he says. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show something, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. How much riches? Immeasurable. So that means that when I get to heaven, a hundred days in, I'm still blown away by how much grace it took for God to save me. And guess what? When I get to day 1,000, I will be equally or, or more blown away by how much grace God has that it took to save me. And guess what happens on day 10,000? When we've been there 10,000 years, right? You will still be blown away by how much grace God has. You'll never get to a certain day where you go, I'm past the grace zone. I got it from here. For all eternity, you will be seated in heaven, and you and I will never cease to be blown away by how much grace God has poured out on us. The Bible says it's immeasurable. You can't measure it in days. You can't measure it against the transactions of your sin. It's immeasurable. Just keeps flowing. 
every day, I just have this picture, and it's somewhat fictitious, that you and I will be there in heaven high-fiving one another, going, boom, God is good. I just knew God was going to run out of grace, and he was going to kick me out and send me back, but here I am, day 10,001, right? Here I am, day 20,001, and sweating that God was going to send me back. We made it another day. Why? Because God's grace is immeasurable. So where do we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? I'm confused. I don't see that anywhere in here. Does anybody see that? Let's keep reading. Maybe I've missed it. Verse 8. So here's how the dead man comes alive. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Ah, that's where it is. Faith, right? That's where I get to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I get to do something. Except we keep reading. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that what? So that no one may boast. So even the faith I have that, 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 that causes the, the dead man to come alive is a faith that God has gifted to me. I still don't have any room here to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Now, if we just stop here at verse 9, we can just go ahead and set up shop over here in the grace camp, can't we? Whew, see, pressure's off. I didn't save myself. I can't fix myself. It's all about Jesus. Let's just live life and roll out however it rolls out. God's already going to forgive us. Matter of fact, let's just, he's predestining us to sin, so let's just roll with grace. And then we get to verse 10. Verse 10 is so important. Verse 10, for we are his Worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, am I saved by good works? Ephesians 1 and 2 makes it abundantly clear I'm not saved by my good works. I don't have enough good works to save me, let alone you. Right? So that's... I'm not saved by good works, but all of a sudden it shifts and now good works are mentioned. But I love how he starts verse 10. We are what? His worksmanship. Think of two, there's two different images that come to mind. One, I think of the, uh, the, 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 the hot piece of iron on an anvil uh, in, the, in the hands of the ironsmith who has a hammer and he's just shaping and pounding and beating and sharpening, and shaping more, and what? Forming a useless piece of steel into something useful. That's a worksmanship. So you and I are God's worksmanship. He's working in us and on us like that. Sometimes that work hurts, doesn't it? Oftentimes that comes through trials, and suffering, and hardship, and in every one of those moments, you and I, by faith, we are a piece of moldable hot iron on the anvil that the master ironsmith is shaping into something. I also think about um, the idea of, of a painting or a portrait, right? So you are his worksmanship. God is creating something beautiful with your life. He's taken the spilled ink and, and the blotted out paint, and, and he's taking all those things, those messes we make in our life, and he's taking those things and, and painting this beautiful canvas of something glorious with us. Taking our sin, seeing our suffering, 
He's painting something beautiful here. Now, in either one of those illustrations, right, where are you pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps? Neither. You're either a hot, melting piece of iron, or you're simply a canvas just standing there being painted. That's the idea that you are his worksmanship. Now look at what he says next. You are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We just read about that, right? Wasn't that verse three of chapter one? Chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. We were, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Now, here it is, that we should walk in them. Now, to catch the emphasis of that phrase, you've got to go back to verse 1 of chapter 2. We were dead in the trespasses um, and sins, verse 2, in which you once, what? Walked. So, I used to walk in my sin and my trespasses just doing whatever I felt like doing. That's when I was a dead man walking. But now that I'm alive in Christ, I've been seated with Christ, I've been saved by grace through faith, and the faith is not my own. Now I'm a, I'm a painting that God is painting, or I'm, a, I'm, 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 a, I'm a, a tool that God is fashioning here. I'm his worksmanship. He's working on me and in me and shaping me for what? To walk a different walk now, a walk by faith into good works. And God prepares your good works beforehand, which means there's no room for you and I to try to have to make something happen. So my pursuit of holiness in my life, I'm not trying to make it happen. I'm not out here trying to pay God back for his grace in my life. I'm not out here trying to to show God that he didn't make a mistake by choosing me. He's going to be super proud of me. My pursuit of holiness, then, is simply a journey of faith. Now, let me, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Have, have you ever, like me, struggled with the same sin over and over and got to the point where you didn't want to ask for forgiveness again? A couple of different reasons. One, you're just maybe embarrassed or full of shame. Or two, like me, you just felt defeated and you're like, why even try? You ever been there? then it's real easy to gravitate to this camp over here, isn't it? I like the grace camp. Why even try? Here's why we try. Listen to this, church. Here's why you try. Because God is doing a work in you. That's why you try. That's why you repent again. That's why you go back to the throne. If you don't approach God to ask for forgiveness because you've messed up so many times before, you're not walking by faith. You're walking by your own strength, and you're frustrated that you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's what you're frustrated with. But when I engage God once again and say, God, listen, I've, I've made a mess again. I need to repent again. I need to ask for forgiveness for something I've asked for forgiveness before because I did it again. I am stepping into this life by faith. I am choosing to believe that God is doing that work in me. And, and one day we're going to get this right. It might take until I finally sit down in my seat before it gets, it gets right, okay? But that's okay because repentance is a journey. It's one more step towards what? Christ-likeness. Now, we're going to land in Ephesians 4. I want you to see this all come together. Ephesians 4, we're just going to look at three verses together. Starting in verse 21. 
It's a beautiful description of this, what we call the sanctification process. Now remember, we were created before the foundation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless. Then we messed everything up. Then we met Christ, and he made the dead man come alive and gave us a permanent seat in heaven, and then began this worksmanship process on us. Ephesians 4.21. Paul is speaking to the church, so he's talking to those of us who would say, I've been saved by Jesus. He's saying this. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Look at this. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and what? Holiness. God is restoring you and I back to our original created purpose to be image bearers in his kingdom, to reflect his character, his goodness, his holiness, and his blamelessness to the world around us. So when I, as a Christ follower, am pursuing holiness, I'm engaging in a work that I believe by faith God is doing in me, and as I do that now, I'm set free to begin reflecting the image of a holy God. Galatians chapter 5 is a great accompaniment chapter for the book of Ephesians. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom that you've been set free. But then you've got to keep reading because down in 13 he says what? Only don't use your freedom to go back and indulge in all the sin that you were once entangled into. Don't, don't, your freedom isn't to, to free you up so you can go sin a whole bunch and not feel guilty. Your freedom is setting you free to do what? To now pursue holiness. To now pursue Christ's likeness. You've been set free to do this. And when you, you mess up, guess what? There's this safety net of grace here to catch you because you're not pursuing this holiness on your own merit. You're doing it by the Holy Spirit in you, fueled by the goodness of God and his, 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 the, the wealth of his mercy towards you that's driving you forward to be more like Christ. It's by faith. God has prepared good works in advance for you, Christ follower. And here's your job, walk in them. By faith, walk in them. God has called you to live the mission. Share the gospel with the people in your life. It's not up to you to make those opportunities happen. Your job is to simply walk by faith into them. Right? So if there's that person in your life, you're like, well, I just feel like God's put this person in my heart, but I, haven't, I don't have the courage yet or I don't have the right words yet. That mindset is rooted in your own strength and ability, isn't it? You'll never lead anybody to Christ by having the right words. When you decide to, to engage in that conversation, it's a walk of faith. It's a good work prepared in advance. You're just walking by faith. Let me end with a couple of verses from 1 Peter. Verse 13, you don't have to turn there. We'll put these on the screen. I think we have these set. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance, but as he who called you as, is holy, so you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
See, am I struggle? Am I wrestling with sin? By the way, church, I, I wrestle with sin. Pastor is simply my calling, my role. It's not my, my spiritual elite status. I wrestle with sin like you wrestle with sin. And when I wrestle with sin, am I, right? We go back to, to Ephesians 4, put off the old self. If I'm putting off the old self, I'm putting off the old self in faith. I've tried to put off the old self in my own strength. Not only does it not work, it ends up wrecking things a little bit worse. I put off the old self in faith, believing by, by faith that the Holy Spirit of God is doing that work in me. I put on the new self, this likeness of Christ, this pursuit of being created in holiness and righteousness by faith, church. And in doing so, I'm engaging in what? This amazing work God is doing in me. Go back and read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You don't have a part in that work. Your part is simply walk. That's what you get to do. You're either going to walk as a dead man, right? Or you're going to walk as somebody who's been made alive, somebody who's been seated in the heavenly places, someone who's been saved by grace through faith, and that faith is not your own. It was a gift that God gave you. Somebody who is now his worksmanship, right? Who's now doing what? Walking in good works that God prepared beforehand for you. So, if you tend to gravitate, gravitate towards legalism and, right, we need, to, we need to have a conversation about grace today. You can't do this in your own strength. If you tend to gravitate towards grace and mercy and I love the forgiveness of God and let's just all be friends, I'm going I'm to call you to what the scriptures are calling you to, and that's to walk by faith towards holiness. That's why we call this the pursuit of holiness. And your pursuit of holiness will not be done until you are finally seated. Hear me? Until you're seated. Find me the Christ follower who's been walking with Jesus 60, 80 years, and they'll tell you, I'm not there yet. I'm a lot further along than I used to be, but I'm not there yet. I still am putting off the old self, putting on the new self, and becoming more like Jesus every day. I want to... I want to land here with you today. I want to take a moment just to pray with you as our worship team comes back up. As our prayer partners move to their place in the room, let's pray together and ask God to do this work in us today. Um, Father, thank you for uh, this beautiful reminder from Ephesians, God, of first of all, God, of your amazing grace. And, and God, our, our little brains can't even fathom what endless mercy looks like. God, we try today to imagine the extents of your goodness towards us and we just can't fathom it, God. God, thank you for saving us by grace through faith. And God, today, thank you for reminding us that you didn't save us simply to, to, to remain idle, but your saving us was an adoption into your family, and this has ignited this good work in us. God, as your children, you're, you're working on us, God. You're taking the messes of our life, the, the spilled ink on our, our canvas, the struggle with sin, the selfishness, the the identity markers of our former life, you're taking these things and you're redeeming them into something beautiful, God. Father, this morning we pray your Holy Spirit 
would move through this room, move through our hearts and minds right now. Maybe today the step of faith you're calling us to is to simply once again return to the throne room of grace, to confess sin, to be forgiven, to be reminded of your goodness in that way. Maybe today is a day to to realize that this calling and this mission you've called us to to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus is, is a walk of faith in God. And however you want to speak to us today, Father, we're open. We want to hear from you.